Hi, I'm Alicia Michalisic Kurtz, an emergency doctor based in California, and this is Real Talk, a place where doctors and other healthcare professionals tell stories about their human experiences working in medicine. Today's story is from Steve Zahn, an emergency doctor based in Illinois. Steve's story was recorded at a live Real Talk session in San Francisco, California. Like we talked about in our first episode, there is this commonly held image of the iron doctor, ready to go from patient to patient, case to case, unfazed, cool and collected no matter what happens. There is some truth in this. Compartmentalizing is a very important skill for a healthcare professional. We have to be able to get through some of our tougher cases and still bring that same energy and compassion to our newer patients, finishing all of our shifts strong, despite what may have happened earlier. At the same time, our human experience is about where we came from and what we've gone through and how we feel, the stuff that makes us who we are and touches us each in unique ways. In some ways, medical training tells us to leave who we are at the door, when really, we shouldn't. Instead, we should celebrate it, share our humanity with our patients in a way that strengthens and deepens that patient-provider relationship. We should celebrate our humanity and be proud of our vulnerability. This is Steve's story. So I don't know who's ever been skydiving before, but if you've ever been skydiving, you know the roller coaster of emotions that you can feel when you're going um, up in that plane. So about 10 years ago, I went skydiving with my wife in the north coast of Hawaii. And I just, I can remember it really well. So you, you walk into a room, at least at this place, Skydive Hawaii, you walk into a room and you sit with about 10 other people and you watch this video about how skydiving works. And then you literally sign a piece of paper that says, you are fully responsible for your permanent harm, disability, and even death. And you sign the paper and you're like, what? How, how am I doing this? But ultimately you just do it because that's what everybody does. And then you strap yourself in so the, the guide behind you has got a parachute, which of course you didn't pack. You trust this person to have packed it correctly. And you climb into the airplane and you go up to about 12, 13,000 feet and you're carabiner to a, 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 a bar on the side of the airplane. The door opens and this complete anxiety feeling like you can feel the wind sucking you out of the plane. And you're like, am I really going to go through this? Am I going to be that guy that says, no, I'll just stay in the plane and take it on the way down. And then there's the complete rush of jumping out of that plane, no parachute, and you just feel that complete adrenaline of a free fall for about 60 to 90 seconds. It's incredible. It's, it's like nothing you've ever experienced before. And of course, you get to a certain point, you're like, okay, when's the chute going to open? When's the chute going to open? And whew, like there's just this jerk on your body, and you feel the, the chute open. And there's this complete tranquility of watching the north coast of Hawaii, and you see the dolphins jumping and the turtles wading through the water and even a couple surfers cutting through the waves. And you know that you just enjoy that next five to 10 minutes all the way down to the ground. Well, this is my wife and I. We went through a roller coaster of our own emotions when we got married. You know, when you get married, you have that bliss. You're just like, everything's great. Life is wonderful, especially the men, right? I know the men feel that. Like, everything's great. <laughs> the women are like, what did I sign up for? <laughs> And we're like, let's have kids. It's going to work. It's going to be great. And so you're in that, you're in that phase where you, you sign the piece of paper and you're like, whatever, I'll just do this. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. And then 
we started thought, thought about having a family and we went through a lot of difficult anxiety phases and uh, negative pregnancy tests and trips to the doctor that were not what we wanted to hear. Miscarriage along the way, and it just became a really strenuous process. And you're like, you know, just that anxiety, like, I don't want to get out of the plane. I just want to stay in here, and I want to go back down the ground where things were great. And you feel like all of a sudden you get out of the plane, you're in that free fall, like nothing's, the chute's not going to open. As an ER doctor, we do a lot of things. We see a lot of sick patients on a daily basis. We see sepsis, we see strokes, we see STEMIs, we even see traumatic patients. We do a lot of stuff that really saves people's lives. You know, when we have to have those difficult conversations, it just becomes part of our practice. We just do it, right? I mean, we don't think about it. We go in and we tell the coded family's patient that their loved one just died. And if we just do it, we kind of get a little immune and numb to it. Or we tell that 50-year-old that patient, 55-year-old patient that's had stomach pain for a month, that they know they're kind of afraid coming in, and sure enough, the CAT scan shows colon cancer that's metastasized to the liver, and you have to go tell them the bad news. But we just do it, and then we walk out of the room, we grab the next chart, and we go to the next patient. But we don't necessarily take time to reflect on those difficult cases, and I just want to share with you um, a particular case that hit a really close home to me. I remember it really well. It was a 31-year-old woman, and I grabbed the chart just like any other chart, and it was you know, abdominal pain and gynecologic bleeding, and I didn't think much of it, but sure enough, I walked into the room, and you could just see on her face the complete anxiety and stress that she was undergoing. When I started asking her questions, she was a G4 and P0, so you could just imagine what she was feeling. And I noticed her husband sitting next to her, and, and he, they were just holding on for whatever they could. I did my history and physical I did my exam, and I walked out of the room and said, we're going to do some blood work, we're going to do an ultrasound. And, I, you know, they knew. They'd been through this before. And I went to the computer, I put in my orders, and, um, you know, little did I know what the next hour and a half would bring for them. But sure enough, I got the results back. And you can imagine the HCG was going down. The ultrasound, which a week ago showed an IUP, didn't show anything this time. And now I had to go deliver this. But it's not just like any other bad news for me. I had been in that situation. I never went to the ER with my wife, but I had been in that situation in the doctor's office, knowing that it's probably not going to be good news. So I walked into the room. I remember this really well. I walked into the room, and I, I think the patient knew exactly what was, I was going to say. You could just sense it right on her face. She didn't quite start crying yet. But as I always do when I have difficult news, and I'm sure you all do the same thing, is you sit down next to the patient, and in this case, it was her husband. And I remember two things. And one of the first things I remember is how hard the husband was holding on to the patient's hand. It was like, it was like they were grasping onto that cliff. And it was like the last thing they had. And they just wanted me to come in and say things are going to be okay and push them back onto the mountain so they could keep going. And he was just holding it so tight. You could see the veins coming out of his hand. And of course, I sat down. I put my arm on the husband's shoulder, and the, I, I don't know what to say in these situations. You, they know what the answer is. And I said, I'm, I'm really sorry. You're having a miscarriage. I sat there for what seemed like 15 minutes. It probably was only like three or four, but I, I don't know about you all. I just never know what to say in that situation. And sometimes silence is just the best thing, but 
I tried in my mind. I'm like, I've been here before. What do I say? And I just couldn't figure out what to say. And I just sat there. And I sat there. And I think the coolest part, the second thing I remember about this particular case is I, I didn't know what to say. They were crying. They were, they were doing their best to hold it together, whatever they could. And I was just like, I don't know what to do. I got I to gotta keep going. I got to see one of their patients. And I got up. I literally said only a couple of things in that room. And I got up and I started walking out of the room. And the patient had the presence of mind to say thank you. And, and I walked out of the room. I closed the curtain. And I just kind of stood there. Because my wife and I didn't even say thank you to our doctors when we had this. Yet this patient knew she had the presence of mind to say thank you. That I obviously, in this disappointing news, could make an impact in this patient's life. You know, it's the hardest thing that I do, and I'm sure you all have the same feeling, when we, when we make these high-risk patients' cases personal, we actually grow as physicians and as um, providers. And we always worry about turnaround time to discharge, and the ED worry about turnaround time to discharge, or patients per hour, or how much can I charge? Is this case critical care? What's my sepsis um, fallout on this, on this particular case? And we fail to recognize that we just need to sit down and spend some time with our patients because that's ultimately why we're here. That, that compassion breeds character that actually helps further our career. It's that joy in medicine, even though this case may not necessarily be joy. It's what fuels us as we go. Fortunately for me, I have a happy ending. My parachute opened. And eight months ago... I welcomed my second son into my life. One of my favorite things to do, it drives my wife crazy, is at night, my eight-month-old, he just likes to roll. He can't crawl yet, but he just rolls everywhere. <laughs> In the nursery, he'll just roll. And if, I, if I'm not paying attention, I'll, he'll be out by the crib, and I turn him around, because he only rolls to the right. And, roll the <laughs> and so I'll get him on the ground, and I, I, I just get my two little fingers, and I start tickling him in his ribs. And then... My seven-year-old will hear it from downstairs or his room, and he'll, he'll hear all the laughter, and he'll come in, and he'll jump on the ground because he likes to get on the ground with them. And then I do the famous daddy double tickle, and I get them both going, and just, <laughs> they just start cackling and laughing so loud. My wife, it drives her nuts because it's always like 7, 30, 8 o'clock at night. She's like, he's never going to settle down. What are you doing? And sure, it takes another half an hour. But that's that, that's that tranquility and serenity that I feel. I felt when I was skydiving, that that's that, that fortunately for me, and unlike my patient, I'm able to have that feeling. You know, we all have difficult cases that we have to deliver bad news, and some, you know, that, that bad news can be, can be more challenging in certain times than others. We have life experiences that make more impressions on us than, than in certain patients. What I learned in that case is that by being human, and by letting my life experiences shine through, I was actually able, able to connect with the patient to make an impact in a difficult situation that made such a difference. And it actually, for me, it fueled my passion to continue my practice. So now that I know when I put on that white coat and that stethoscope and go into work, that despite what happens, I can actually make a difference. Thanks for letting me share that story with you guys today. Like Steve, all of us have experiences from our past 
that make us who we are and make certain patient encounters stand out more for us than others. What are some cases you've had that stand out in your memory? What types of patients hit home for you? What experiences from your life make these patients so different than all the others? If you have a story that you want to share with Real Talk, or you want more information about our program, email us at realtalk at vituity.com or follow us on Instagram at real.talk.podcast. Special thanks to our storyteller Steve Zahn, to the team at Vituity for supporting this podcast, to Marco Gonzalez, our sound engineer, and to all of you for listening. I'm Alicia, and this is Real Talk. Real Talk.